All right, we're in Galatians 5, verse 13. To you, my brothers and sisters, we're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you, do not, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Taylor. Let's just be still in God's presence and invite the Spirit just to focus us on Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, come. We turn our attention to your heart, God. Your heart for us is good. Remind us of this. Thank you that even when you say things that confront us and challenge us, you do it, yes, strongly, and yet it's always for our best and for our good and for your glory. So remind us of this, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are in a series called Galatians, One New Family. Uh, and we're coming to the end of Galatians. There's only a couple weeks left. This whole letter has been about church unity. The church started unified and diverse, and now they're fighting. They're disunified. So, th- so here's, here's, here's the deal. Thousands of years before Jesus, God promised this would happen. God promised he would make a family that wasn't monocolored or monocultural, monolithic, but diverse and involving every language, tribe, and nation. Uh, This had never been seen before, but God promised it. And then after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and breathed his spirit out on his followers, his followers became the church and started planting churches like we want to in San Diego, planting churches. And God's promise was coming true. And from, from Jesus on, whoever pledges allegiance to Jesus Christ as the true king of the world gets to be part of this family. The invitation's wide open, and we get to be united together by the Holy Spirit. And this was happening in this little town called Galatia, but then they started breaking up. And so uh, Paul writes this letter, if you have this, yeah, he writes this letter to argue for the unity of the family and argue against behaviors that break up the family, okay? And now in chapter 5, he's starting to get specific. He gets detailed and practical, And he makes two lists. 
On one hand, you have the acts of the flesh. He calls them that. We're going to get into what that means. Acts of the flesh. That's a weird title. And on the other hand, you have fruit of the Spirit. And he contrasts these two lists. And, and he basically says, the question is to love or, or to fail to love. That is the question. The fruit of the Spirit unites the family and is true love. The acts of the flesh break up the family. They act like they fulfill us, but don't deliver. And they're ultimately a failure to love, even if they seem indulgent in the moment. They're a failure to love. And so Paul argues in this chapter that we actually want both of these. We want both at once. This is the human problem. We're greedy. And so we want the fruit of the Spirit and the acts of the flesh. We want both, right? We're complicated. We are mixture. Can you like turn to someone next to you and say, you are a mixture, yeah, yeah. You're just a, you are a mixed bag. There was, I sensed deep resonance all of a sudden. Yes, you are a mixed bag. We are mixture. We are mixture. We crave belonging and good things, but that's not all we crave. We also crave to indulge our immediate desires. We crave instant gratification. We want, we want both. And we know they don't go together, right? We know this. Especially if we follow Jesus. This letter is written to Jesus followers. This letter really only works for Jesus followers for obvious reasons. It's, it does, it's, it's for people that have agreed to covenant with this God. And so now we know what is good and yet we want what is bad, but we want what's good too. And we have this mixture. You are a mixture. And, and this frustrates us. So, so, but Paul's like, there, while we are mixture, there is a right way to get to belonging and love, and there is a wrong way to get to belonging that doesn't actually get us anywhere except brokenness. And Jesus calls this the wide road that leads to destruction. Paul calls it indulging the flesh. And Jesus talks about a narrow road that leads to life, and Paul says that's the fruit or walking in the Spirit. Again, both roads claim belonging and wholeness, but only one gets us there. So if you remember last week, we talked about these two categories. We talked about these two. Do you have the, the next slide? Yeah, so, so there's, we talked about this last week, but, but uh, Dr. Ruffet back there said, make them nice circles that like spiral in on each other because he's so scientific and he's brilliant. And this is a way better slide than I had last year. And last week. And so he says, it's flesh unity versus spirit unity. We want belonging, but if we get there by the flesh, it's a spiral. We, we're in survival mode. We, we think in scarcity terms, so we're suspicious of people taking our stuff, which makes them enemies. And we keep tribalizing. We keep gathering according to little echo chambers that reaffirm our scarcity mindset. Uh, this happens everywhere. <laughs> this has kept creatures alive for ages. Uh, it's natural. But what's supernatural, what's spiritual, is spirit unity. And, and that arrow there is moving us across. We're always remembering who we are as children of God. We are unified by the Spirit as Jesus followers, which means we're eternal and we have abundance. We're eternal, which means our bodies are going to rise from the dead. Do eternal beings need to operate in survival mode? No, we're, etern we're eternal. By definition, we don't need survival. And so, so, we don't need, so we have abundance and we have confidence to love well without fearing 
that someone might be out to get my stuff because my stuff, the real stuff, is limitless. So, so this, is, this is in the new family of Jesus. If you can turn it to the next slide. Yeah, so that's what Paul calls indulging the flesh. Flesh unity and survival mode. And, and we're moving to the right. This is the journey. This is why Paul says, walk in it. We already are spirit unity. We already are family in Jesus. That's already true about us on the right, but now the journey is getting that from our heads into our bones and living this reality that we already are. You'll find as you read the New Testament, the New Testament letters is, are one story, one call after another for you to become who you already are. This is already true about Jesus' followers. It wasn't true before, but now it is. But we keep believing the lies. And so we're in process to the right there. So you, you see that slide. It's very important. Um, so, so we don't need to indulge the flesh. We're free to love. We're free. So what does that practically look like, indulging in the flesh? What does it look like? This is what Paul does. He gets practical. Let's read from verse 13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. You have that next slide. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There it is, you guys. That's true freedom. Freedom, contrary to popular opinion, is not getting to do whatever you want versus not doing what you want. That's not freedom. Because this, Paul says, leads to disunity and slavery because you, you're, you're mixed bags. You don't want, your, your wants aren't always aligned, right? Even your wants are, in, are at war all day long. So freedom is not whatever we want. It can't be because our wants are at war. Freedom is an issue of loving versus failure to love. That's always what freedom is in scripture. Am I loving or am I failing to love? which inevitably means silencing my desires or surrendering them. Um, so am I living free? This is what Paul's asking us. Are you living free to love like Jesus? This is what Paul's talking about. And so Paul says the thing that keeps us from freedom is this thing in you that has wants called the flesh. It's this power that wants things. The flesh is this hunger within us. It wants to pull us away from becoming the person we're supposed to be, a person like Jesus. Again, it's natural survival, right? Not having enough, not being enough, and then comparison and envy, believing the lie that we'll be better off if we objectify people. I'll be better off if I treat you as, as if you exist for my pleasure or for my advancement. Uh, and we consume each other this is what Paul says the indulging of the flesh is. And Paul continues, verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled, keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's walking in the spirit. But if you bite and devour, indulge the flesh, objectify, you're now an object for my consumption. Watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. That breaks up the family. So this is all about two ways of existing, loving neighbor as ourself versus biting and devouring neighbors for ourselves. We want both. 
just be honest with yourself. Today's a day of getting real. We want both. So, so in our flesh, we want to bite people, which is othering people out of fear or envy. And we want to devour people, use them for our own pleasure. We're mixed bags. And, and when we realize you're a mixture, we don't like thinking about our mixture uh, because it's unbelievably frustrating. We realize how, how unable we are and how much in need we are of, of empowerment because uh, we keep shooting for home and belonging but end up with broken relationships because of flesh. We're desperate for wholeness for, for personal integration. Integrity. You know what integrity means? It means whole personness, alignment. An integer is one whole number, if you know math. That's basic math. An integer is a whole. So integrity is you are a whole person. We want this. But if we're mixed in our, in our wants, that's not whole. We know this, and it frustrates us. It's one of the worst parts of being human. So it's... Mad's maddening, you guys. This is why Paul's heart is beating out of his chest for this whole letter. And when, when Paul says, live this way, not that way, he is not a helicopter parent. It's not Paul, the church police guy, trying to keep everybody from having fun. That's not Paul, not remotely. He's reflecting the heart of the Father who made us and knows how we work. He's like, trust me. If you follow the desires of your flesh, it will not end well for you. You will be destroyed in integrity-wise and community-wise. will be destroyed. So what do we do, Paul? This seems very bleak. So uh, he says, so I say, verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Walk. You already are in the Spirit. So now walk as you are. And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. There's that war. He acknowledges the mixture. You are mixture. So you don't do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Man, you guys, these verses just scream about this war, this mixture in me. Paul keeps circling this point. And just a lighthearted example from my own life, you know, try to be vulnerable, whatever, but so here's, so here, so lighthearted though, I'm in the grocery store and I see the guy with the eight pack on the fitness magazine and I know there is a way to live that could get me there, at least on, at least a four pack. (laughs) There is a way of being that could land me on that trajectory. Um, So I then, I'm too cheap to get the magazine, so I download a 21 day abs workout or whatever because I'm a go-getter like that. So I download the 21 day and then, and then I, turn, I turn 10 degrees to the left and I see top 10 comfort food recipes for spring 2022. And, and they're plant-based, which is like a home run and it's still comforting and deep fried buffalo cheesesteak tofu wraps. And I'm, and I'm like, Sandy, we could do this. And so, I, so I, I'm, again, too cheap for the magazine, so I download, uh, either take a picture of the recipes, or, or I just download a bunch of them on my phone. And now my phone has warring images. Um, so, 
so I cannot live both at once. They're, uh, they're alternate realities to one another, but I want them both. And so I start doing justification gymnastics in my head on why I can have both. Uh, and, it's, and it's deeply unsettling. So do I keep justifying my indulgence or do I get honest with science and my body? In a moment, like there's two clear paths to, to indulge or not. And they actually affect my longevity. You know, one of them can actually make me live longer and love my kids better as they grow, as if I'm in a healthy body. You know what I mean? So these aren't just personal choices. And they're not just like physical choices. We are whole people, body, mind, and spirit. That's a lighthearted example in a grocery store aisle. But Paul, Paul goes all the way down into the weeds, into the darkness in us in this chapter. Way heavier ways, heavier things. All day choices that come to us basically in the form of to love or to fail to love. Um, when we indulge the flesh, we're saying no to the freedom Jesus died for. We're denying our identity and inheritance as royal daughters and sons of God. While we long for belonging, and I would say health and personal integrity, we want this, we get the opposite, broken relationships and destroyed lives. So Paul says, walk in the spirit. And then you won't gratify the desires, almost as if they'll get less appealing. Wouldn't that be nice? But here's what Paul is saying. As a child of God, you have a gift. You have a gift. He is called the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit. He offers you power to see and live beyond your fleshly desires to become like Jesus. You need the Spirit. You can increasingly become like Jesus through the gift of the Spirit. And what is Jesus like? Generous, self-giving. Self-giving for the benefit of the family, not family-consuming and others objectifying. This is the power that you have available to you. Do you live in the Spirit? Do you walk in the Spirit? This is the key. And this is important key thing here. The spirit and the flesh, I know we held up two opposite lists, but they're not equal. The spirit and the flesh are not equal powers. If you're a Jesus follower here, God has given his spirit to you specifically to keep you from doing whatever you might want to do under the influence of the flesh. That is the good news, yes. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's how this works. Before you were a Christian, uh, your deepest desires, you could say, were the flesh before you were a Christian. Paul's about to list some of these flesh acts. Uh, and, you, and before we were Christian, these were our primary desires and our deepest ones. Comparison, envy, lust, greed. But when you became a, a follower of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit enters your life and gives you a new heart. We talked about this last week. Paul calls it a circumcision of heart. We're no longer Jewish needing physical circumcision. Paul uses that metaphor of circumcision to, to apply to every race, ethnicity, and gender now who trust Jesus. 
God gives you a new heart. And listen, now your deepest desire is God himself. This is what it means to have the new heart. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is true about you. Your deepest desire is now God. It's true about you now. It's no longer the things of the flesh. Your, your deepest desire is for God. That's what Jesus means when he says, you must be born again. It means you must receive the Holy Spirit through trusting Jesus so that he comes in and gives you a new heart with God as your new deepest desire. And right now you're like, I don't feel like he is. How is God my deepest desire? This week was nuts. It was hard. If my deepest desire is always God, why am I a mixture or whatever? Why did I tell my neighbor I'm a mixture? If you're asking that, you are asking the right question. I would actually say, well done. You got to chase that question down. This is the question simmering under these, these verses in Galatians. Because here's what's going on. If you're born again, if you're, if you're a Christian with a new heart, your deepest desire is to please God, but you still have strongest momentary desires. We have deepest desires and we have strongest desires and they're still not fully aligned. This is the challenge. This is the struggle. The struggle's real, you guys. And our strongest desires fluctuate all the time. So, which is why Paul says, walk. Walk in the spirit. There is effort required here. There is effort required. And you're not earning God's favor. That's not, it's not salvation by works or by effort. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but absolutely, we become like Jesus through effort. 100,000%. We don't become like Jesus through osmosis. And, and it's not a single breakthrough. It's not like one... Kai put on a Holy Spirit retreat at Point Loma. It's amazing people on the ground. It's amazing. God can actually use these moments to benchmark divine activity in the life of a community. But I'm telling you, referring to the same moment in time to say, I'm okay, I'm fine, is not walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is referring back to that moment when God introduced himself to you like Paul on the road to Damascus. Oh, Jesus met me. I'm going to walk continually because of what Jesus has done for me. There are breakthrough moments in life with the Spirit. But 99% of our life in the Spirit is process and journey and vulnerability and confession of sin and repenting over and over, not to get saved again, not to get back on God's good side again, but to, but to enjoy what Paul says when he says, uh, when Jesus says, the narrow way that leads to life to the fullest, life to the fullest, true belonging, true belonging. We can actually forfeit belonging while being here by continuing persistently in the acts of the flesh. Um, so if you're a follower of Jesus, there's your deepest desire. I think it's the slide before that. Yeah, yeah. There's your deepest desire, which is for God because of the Spirit, and it's permanent. Your deepest desire is for God from the Spirit, permanent. We also have strongest desires. A million different things because of a million reasons all day. And we're fickle. Those are fickle. They come and go. And the lie is that they're actually our deepest and we need to keep doing them. 
That's the lie. So, um, I mean, for me, my deepest desire, I can say, I, Evan Wickham, uh, am a loved child of God. Like, I love, I love the fact that God has called me into his family, and I want to keep partnering with him to call others into this family. Um, my deepest desire is for God. Like, from the Holy Spirit, it actually gets me emotional to think about this joy that I have received. Uh, the, the Spirit has birthed this. This is not from me. It is from the third person of the Trinity uniting me with the second person to receive the love of the first person, the Father. It's amazing what we get. What we get. Um, at the same time, I, Evan Wickham, have plenty of other desires for selfishness and workaholism and validating myself through my performance that makes me lash out at my loved ones for getting, quote-unquote, getting in my way. Um, and just thinking about these warring desires, it makes me also emotional for other reasons, even though my deepest desire continues to be for God. Um, I have so many desires that do not honor God at all. And, 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 and they are at the forefront of my mind. They feel the strongest. So this is our struggle. This is the journey we're on. And so Paul wants us to be free. True freedom is, is living by the Spirit. Not doing whatever I want. So, so, so Paul now, he gets into the specifics. He does lists. You saw it on the screen for a second. Let's put that, let's put that slide back up. Here, here's, here's the lists. Flesh versus spirit, okay? These are pretty gnarly. Um, but we all know what these are. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Uh, sexual morality, impurity and debauchery. And he goes on and so forth. So there's three groups really here. Four if you count idolatry and witchcraft. Um, but there's three main groups. Verse 19, you have sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And those are, very, those are synonyms somewhat with overlap in the Greek. And so just translation on that. I'm going to translate. What is sexual immorality? Paul lists it first, not because it's the worst, uh, but just because it's the leading one in this group. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery. Let me, let me translate that for tw 2022 San Diego. This is sex with someone you are not married to. Okay? That is incompatible with the way of Jesus. So a few words about this. Sexual immorality, sex with someone you're not currently married to. Um, why is this considered a failure to love? Because this again, objectifies another human being. And it's the use of another human for self-gratification rather than serving God's desires for that person. And, and to which you might respond like, but Evan, it's not objectification if it's consensual, right? Like, mutual consent between adults is not objectifying. What about mutual consent? And to which Jesus and the writers of the Bible, they would respond when it comes to sex, outside or before marriage, mutual consent without covenant is still objectification. It's just mutual objectification. Mutual consent outside or before marriage is just mutual objectification. Why do I say that? Well, again, remember, Galatians is written to Christians. This doesn't make sense if you're outside the covenant that Jesus has invited us into. 
So, so this is not a rule for the world out there. This is, a, this is a term of the covenant that God has invited us into to, in, to live into life to the fullest. So if you are a follower of Jesus, then name any other act of the flesh, name any other act of the flesh that becomes good by mutual consent. Like two people get together and agree to be, to be jealous or two people get together and agree to get drunk. I mean, these things don't become good by mutual consent. That's literally the problem of Eden, right? Adam and Eve got together and declared the tree good against God's definition. Mutual consent was what led to the fall and redefined what was good. So um, again, this is for Jesus followers. If you're not a Jesus follower here, this sounds intense. It is. But that's because there are so many warring desires that are given to us by world, flesh, and devil, culture, internal wiring, all of these things, family of origin. And Jesus confronts everything that is contrary to the kingdom and calls us forward to flourish. So, so I want to say people can, you know, so, so, th- so these acts, they break up the family, leave your soul empty. So just to, to close the loop on sexual morality, just to close the loop, um, According to Jesus in the scriptures, sexual immorality is sex with someone you are not married to. And yes, this includes porn because porn involves someone you are not married to. And it is a, probably one of the world's leading industries in objectification. And it happens to be objectification. And it's the world's leading moneymaker. So, so all, of, all of this to say, like we, we know... We know what these are. He gets into idolatry, witchcraft. We don't need to get into that as much. But I want, I want you to look at hatred through envy. All of those are very similar. That is the second large group there. Um, these are phobia-driven. This is phobia-driven hatred justified as defensiveness. That's a good way to frame it for 2022. An act of the flesh that fits that description would be a phobia-driven hatred justified as self-defense or self-preservation. Um, and, then, and then the last, the last two, drunkenness and orgies. Let me translate that. Drunkenness and orgies. So, <laughs> so Paul, you got to love Paul, right? He gets very, very specific on what the acts of the flesh look like practically. Now, he doesn't stop to define them for the audience. He just says two simple things. <laughs> Are you ready? Number one, he says, they're obvious. Verse 19, you see the, the acts of the flesh are obvious. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing he says. It's on, Paul's like, I don't need to like get into the nitty, how, but what constitutes, he's like, you know, like, you know what they're, you know, that's. Paul's like, but what exactly is sex with someone I'm not married to? Paul's like, you know, you're good. You're good. You know what it is. Or take the word hatred. The word hatred. Uh, Paul uses the word hatred. Uh, it's the Greek word also translated enmity. So, so assuming someone is enemy. We're like, but Paul, what exactly is my enemy? I don't, I don't make anyone to be my enemy. I don't see anyone with enmity, all humans are equal, but I mean, there's definitely a certain group of people I have a hard time with, and I, 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 and Paul's like, enmity, that's enmity. 
But you're like, wait, no, Paul, I don't see them as enemies. I just have a hard time, like, trusting people like blank. And I might feel uncomfortable if they came into my church. And for sure, if they came to my community group, I would feel like, Paul's like, yeah, enmity. That's enmity. Um, Translated hatred in your NIV Bibles. Enmity is the mistrust of people simply because they belong to a different group. And it's usually fear-based. This is the definition of homophobia, you guys. Homophobia is the mistrust of people who are primarily attracted to the same sex purely because of their orientation. You just don't trust. I don't know if they should, I don't know if I could. That's homophobia. Paul calls that enmity. That's enmity. Same goes for racism. The mistrust of people because of skin color. And all the ways that cycles down into a psyche and society. Enmity. That this is the direct result of organizing ourselves according to the flesh. Or in the words of Dr. Bashir, he has a way with words. Through the acts of the flesh, we join the serpent in his narcissism. And, Paul, and Paul's like, you know what they are. You know. We know. And the second thing he says, not only... Are they obvious, but people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom? He says that. What does that mean? It means people who who persist and live into the acts of the flesh, they won't get to experience the thing Jesus was most pumped about. Jesus' main message was the kingdom. The kingdom of God, he couldn't stop talking about it. Jesus believed that God's ultimate goal in the world was to finally get the world back on track, heal it and restore it. And Jesus believed that goal was being accomplished through his life and through his death and resurrection and the spirit coming to birth a church. Jesus believed that the church would carry on the work of the kingdom and and become family and invite enemies to become family. And, and Jesus believed this is what was happening. And now the church is doing this. This is the kingdom of God in the world. And Paul is warning us. He says, quote, I warn you, you persistently practice the flesh. You won't experience any of that. Now or future. It's not just a future pie in the sky, heavenly bliss thing. There is an eternal future component, but it's also the belonging and the true family and the spirit-empowered life together, you won't experience any of this if you persist in acts of the flesh. So Paul moves from the acts of the flesh to the fruit of the spirit. Here it is, Galatians 5, 22 through 26, the end of the chapter. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Hey, there's no law against this stuff, he says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That's pretty gnarly. That is a very intentional act of execution. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit. Verse 25. Is that a command, fact, or promise? Since we live by the Spirit, is that a command or a fact? Fact. It's true about you. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Is that a command? That's the command. Wait a minute. Is it true or not? Yes. You are already in the Spirit. And so the whole point of the New Testament is live like it. 
You can, you have the power. Let's not be conceited, provoking, and envying. And just like Paul says, hey, you know, you know what the acts of the flesh are. We know. But what is the act? We know. He's also saying, you know what the fruit is. You know, you want it. You long for lasting meaning and belonging. You long for love to be known and to know. You want this. We want this deeply. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your deepest desire. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, if you've never come to Jesus and pledged your life to him through baptism, then the invitation is open. Come and make God your deepest desire. And join the family in this tough journey, but beautiful journey of becoming more and more free. We want the fruit so bad. And I want to point out as we wrap up the differences between the, these two lists, the flesh and spirit. Here it is. Next. So when he says acts of the flesh, it's plural. But when he says fruit of the spirit, it's one thing. It's whole. There are many acts of the flesh. There are many ways to, to, to muddy the waters and to get the garden full of weeds. But the fruit of the garden is one. You can't have love without patience. You can't have joy without peace. You can't have self-control without kindness. So don't picture multiple fruit. I grew up with a you know, fluffy kids ministry chart felt board in kids ministry with like the banana was joy and the apple was love. And that's fun, but it's the wrong picture. Picture one fruit you've, that's unlike any other fruit and every slice, you pull, every slice, it just bleeds into one another. It's all the character qualities. And the Spirit says, here is the gift. I am planting this desire in you. You have this in you. You have this. You don't need to work anymore for this. You have me. I'm embedded in your soul. You don't have to earn favor with me to receive my potential fruit. You don't have to. So why am I not seeing it? Because we can't grow it. We can't grow it. That last verse, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, that's all we can do. We can't grow the fruit of the Spirit. What are you saying, Evan? Well, my wife has a raised, she has a couple raised gardens in our backyard, and she, you know, Paul's using gardening metaphor here on purpose. And so Sandy grows like basil and tomatoes and peppers and stuff. And even though I just said, what did I just say? Sandy grows, right? We say that Sandy grows basil, but we don't really mean she like touches the roots and makes it grow or whatever. You should, no, none of us can do that. There's a, there's a potential embedded in the very DNA of the seed. So when we say Sandy grows the fruit, what we're really saying is Sandy creates the right conditions for the basil and tomatoes to grow, Right? She pulls the weeds. She adds the water to the dry soil. She rotates the old stuff out that's rotten and makes room for new life. And when we say that, we're saying Sandy grows tomatoes. But she's not growing the tomatoes. That's crazy. 
That's like, that's like Groot. Groot grows things in Marvel. Sandy's not that. That's a mutant power. No one has that power to grow things. All right? But, but listen, as silly as that is, just as silly as saying like, I, I, why can't I grow love? Why can't I get more gentle? Why can't I become more patient? Because you can't. You can't grow the fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit. I've been praying wrong this year. I started this year saying, I just want to grow in gentleness and self-control. I'm going to target these. That was my New Year's resolution. And I've been thinking about it just wrong based on Paul's grammar. You can't target specifics of the fruit of the Spirit. You need to recognize he's given his whole self to you as a potential deposit of coming attractions. And now my job is to clear out the weeds. Where are the acts of the flesh hindering the conditions of the Spirit's growth in my life? God's job is to touch the root and do his magic in you and in me. So I'm going to ask you the question that I just am self-realizing, that the Spirit, I think, is waking me up to this week as I look at this. You know, for three months, from January to March, I've been like, gentleness, self-control, gentleness, self-control, because my responses have been so short. Um, but I would invite you, no, no, get your eyes off of God's work and, and get your eyes on God's command. Uh, since you are in the Spirit, He is already the gift. What are the acts of the flesh in your life hindering the conditions for His growth? What are they? And Paul says, you know. They're obvious, he says. <laughs> so, so really, we just need to kind of get out of God's way today and invite him to shine his light and help us humble ourselves to confess our sin to one another and to, and to repent. And next, next week, very practically, fasting and praying together is making the conditions right for the spirit to grow in a community. Come on and fast. This is a whole church call. In, in, in whatever authority I have in your life as lead pastor of this church, and on behalf of the elders who spiritually parent this church, we call you to show up for the week of prayer and fasting to create the conditions in this community for the spirit to grow. And right now, in advance of the week of prayer, we're going to call you to come and receive prayer. What are the conditions like in your life? So I'm just going to invite the Spirit to come. We're going to stand and we're going to open up the room for prayer. And this can look different. You can come up to the right or to the left. There's going to be people ready to pray for you. To help you do the work of gardening. Oh, there's some weeds. Oh, there's some rotten roots. I just want to prepare my heart. Make way for the Lord. Get honest about your warring mixture. Where's the mixture? Where's it most prominent? Where did it show up last week? This is not an issue of shame. This is not arbitrarily judging and guilting. This is a fact about the kingdom. Continuing and persisting in the acts of the flesh will cut you off from enjoying life to the fullest. It's just, uh, it's a fact about God's reality. 
Which is why Peter says, repent for refreshment. We don't repent for shame. We repent for refreshment. Because the result is eternal fruit. My goodness. If we could just see what was on the other side, flesh would die instantly. So let's kill it today. Those who follow in the way of the Spirit crucify their flesh in all of its desires. So very clearly, I want to call all of us to a crucifixion. I want to call all of us to a crucifixion. In a couple weeks, we'll celebrate Good Friday. Celebrate the worst day in history. Humans killed God. But what also happened is God killed our sin in the flesh of his son. And when we say yes to this, we experience spiritual freedom. And what that looks like is repentance. This act of the flesh, it's been persistent, no more. Confession. You can't confess, confess alone. Did you know this? I would call confession alone hiding. This is why confession of sin is a communal practice. And if this isn't the place, my goodness, let's breathe life into our relationships here. Email, email the leadership, talk to your community groups, whatever this looks like. But if you are comfortable coming forward and, and praying, receiving forgiveness and healing, let today be the day. So could you please stand? We're gonna have a time of prayer and just creating the conditions for the Spirit to flourish in our lives. Heavenly Father, would you come now? Lovingly lead us for the next five minutes in a time of confession and prayer that's for refreshment. Jesus, we want, we want belonging. We want love. We don't want to fail to love. So reorient our thinking. Before we come to the table, we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So church, feel free to come forward. We'd love, love uh, to be the confessing church together.